This podcast contains content and language not suitable for some listeners. Welcome to Oddities and Curiosities, a podcast about murder, the paranormal, and other oddities sure to pique your curiosity. We are Amanda and Brittany. Hello. Hello. How are you over there? I'm okay. 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 <laughs> Same? <laughs> Same? Good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't We're know. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll accept okay. It's better than I'm here. <laughs> I made it here today. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a little bit perkier. Yeah. And um, it's episode 102. Yeah. 102. Yeah. We're kind of like toddlers again. I'm going to ignore the one and the zero in front of it. <laughs> Why? That's just I don't silly. know. We're just starting That's over. That's accomplishments. True. I want my one and zero, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're keeping the one and the zero. <laughs> Let's tell the people what we're doing. Secret admirer. Mm. Have you ever had a secret admirer? Not to my knowledge. Have you ever been a secret admirer? <laughs> no. <laughs> that would require putting yourself out there in a way. <laughs> Have uh, you had or been a secret admirer, Amanda? Your face is turning red. <laughs> this one time in sixth grade, <laughs> I tried to be a secret admirer. <clears throat> okay. How did you try to be a secret admirer? I wrote... A poem to, like, one of, like, the cutest boy in school. And I slipped it in his locker. You wrote a poem? It did. It was something super cheesy. I know it had one line in there about something about him being really neat. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're swell. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) And I put it in his locker, and the next day we come to school, and we're in English class, and we sit right next to each other. And he always used to ask me for help for stuff, like, all the time. So he's like, hey, will you write neat, like, as neatly as you can? And I was like, okay, maybe he's just, like, needs to cheat for something. So I do it, and I hand it to him, and he pulls out the note and compares it right in front of me. And then the bell rings. Thank God. And he never said a word about it. I packed up my shit and hauled ass out of that classroom. He never said anything about it. But then you still had to sit next to him? Yes. Every fucking day that year. But you just gave up? You gave up? Well, look, he like laughed. It like it was Oh, there was laughter involved. Yeah. It it crushed me. Like What a tiny little douchebag. I thought he was a nicer guy than that, but he like... Um, He was a sixth grade boy, ma'am. I know, but at the time, I was like, oh my God, Peter. Was his (laughs) name Peter? His name was Peter. Oh my God. (laughs) If I can find... You had a thing for Peter? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, that was my secret admirer experience. <laughs> I never did it again, ever. I'm here for this. 
<sighs> okay. Well, well how I'm exciting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm recovering from that trauma. Go to our socials. Yeah, do that. Go look at shenanigans and Mind Teaser Mondays and Guess That Cryptid. Episode pictures. Yeah. Yeah, those mm-hmm. are in there, too. And then we have, like, hump day stuff. Cause it's, oh, yeah. It's, it's hump day! day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have no idea. I'm this kind is of, why we can't record video. Oh, hell no. Mm-mm. For that reason and the fact that I'm wearing leggings and a nightgown right now. <laughs> Was zero fucks given. It's okay. I got on Bucky t-shirt and some leggings, so. I did keep my bra on. I almost shed the bra before I came, but I was like, nah, just in case I get pulled over, I better have the, <laughs> better have the gals locked down. <laughs> you never know when you might need to get out of the car. Bras True. and shoes are a necessity, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and pants. Uh, pants uh, are, pants are, you know. It depends. <laughs> Some type of covering in your lower region. It's really hot right now. I think that they would be a little graceful with the britches situation. Well, not if you're naked. Now, if you got on a long dress, that's fine. I'm if you're wearing your moo you're fine. I'm wearing a nightgown. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, really, it just looks like an oversized t-shirt. It does. It looks super comfy. You're fine. It is very much this work environment attire acceptable. If that makes any sense, what the fuck I I just said. Here, (laughs) it's for the food and the PJs. Okay. Okay. Speaking of the food, Amanda, what you got for us? Okay. Well, (laughs) I went a little extra with this hump day treat. Okay. Fabulous. (laughs) So instead of having our hump day photo at the table our secret admirer dropped it off at my doorstep for us <laughs> you are so extra i love that <laughs> i'm just now showing Brittany the picture <laughs> so we have a bouquet of flowers some balloons that actually happened to fall into my hands today lucky it, it, it lucky happens perfectly and a box of chocolates some cupcake wine. It was supposed to be Pinot Grigio, but apparently I grabbed Sauvignon Blanc. So, you know what? I don't hate it. It's pretty close. Mm-hmm. It's fine. It's fine. So, Britt, you want to open the box of chocolates? She's looking at me like, what the fuck? What did you do? You want to open the box of chocolates? Not really now. Well. I was wondering why you weren't eating then, because usually you're like, let me taste them. Let's open them. With every secret one. admirer. Comes a note. Did you write me a note? <laughs> Not only did I write you a note, I had one of our friends help write the part about me. So the secret admirer wrote us both a note. Oh my god. <laughs> this is so fucking extra. I love it. Okay. Did you already read it? I wrote it. <laughs> well, you said one of our friends. Well, yeah, but I mean, I wrote it down while we were on the phone. <laughs> Well, you just hold on yourself. Yeah. But here's a note. <laughs> you got to read it all out. I'm, I'm fitting too. Okay. You write like a doctor. I tried <laughs> to write like serial killer-ish. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I read Dr. Ham writing all day, so this I is good. I figured you can yeah. get it. Okay. <laughs> My most precious podcast queens. 
I hope you enjoy my gifts. I picked them out carefully. You'll notice the lilies, too, for my two favorite ladies. Listening to you every week brings my life so much joy. Thank you. (laughs) Brittany, I got you a new addition for your Louisiana wall. It will be hanging there for you when you arrive home this evening. Made me think of you. What the fuck did you do? (laughs) Nothing. It's just just to be creepy. (laughs) That's creepy as fuck. (laughs) I was going to go home and look at my wall. I almost thought about calling Steven and getting him to just put something random up on the wall. (laughs) Oh, my God. Amanda, I dusted your treasures in your new cabinet from your grandmother. Don't worry. I put everything back exactly where they belonged. You really need to take care of those. They're irreplaceable, just like the two of you. With love, your devoted admirer. P.S. See you soon. Are we in a Lifetime movie? Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> Haven't you always wanted to be? Not this kind. I want a Lifetime Christmas movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was so cute. I can't believe you did that. <laughs> I had to. This is extra as fuck, and I'm here for it. Okay. <laughs> So there's our hump day treat. Happy humping. Happy humping. I'm going to open the box of chocolates finally. Yeah, do that. Because I've been wanting to try them all day. I'm sure you have. Yeah. There we go. I need the picture that tells me what's what. It didn't come with a picture. They're all truffles. But what kind? Chocolate. (laughs) Give me the front of the box. It's on the back. Hold on. Where'd it go? You don't even know. Oh, there's milk chocolate, white chocolate, dark chocolate, fudge swirl milk chocolate, caramel dark chocolate. I want truffle. caramel dark chocolate. Okay, Which well, that's the that? one with the crisscross thingies on it. This one. Yeah. Oh, I'm just like fingering in it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's your chocolate, baby. You can do whatever you want with it. Just mind your business, okay? I'm just really glad that there's only two white chocolate ones in there because ew. Oh, I'll ew. Okay. I don't, I don't do the. I like white it? chocolate. Sorry for the mouth noise. Yeah, that's a lot of mouth noises. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm finished with mine. That's good. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I don't have to talk. You do. Mm-hmm. Ha-ha. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stuff my face with chocolates. <laughs> okay. Okay. So my secret admirer case, you've all probably heard before, but I don't care. It's so good. It's so good slash so fucking sad. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Anywho, I'm going to do the Jenny Jones murder. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay, here we go. The Jenny Jones Show was a daytime talk show that ran for 12 years between 1991 and 2003. If you never saw the Jenny Jones Show, you never stayed home from school sick. Obviously. Uh And you're probably not cool. So, yeah, you need to get cultured. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Catch up. (laughs) Low ratings in early seasons led the show to move towards more voyeuristic, exploitative content inspired by successes from talk show hosts such as Jerry Springer, Jerry, Jerry, and Maury Povich. You You are are not not the father. father. (laughs) 
For example, she'd surprise a couple with paternity test results on air, have spouses reveal affairs and break up with their partners, bring in unruly teenagers who needed disciplining, and reveal secret same-sex crushes. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. So, if you want to go look at the pictures, I have a picture of Jenny Jones mid, <laughs> mid-show. mid <laughs> and all I can her, hear her now hairspray and shoulder padded glory. Oh yes, oh yes. Her voice got on my damn nerves. Yeah, but I liked when they gave people makeovers. No, I mean I liked her, but her voice was a little <laughs> annoying. I liked the makeovers. I oh, watched yeah. Maury for the You Are Not the Fathers. Mm-hmm. Jerry mm-hmm. for you know midgets Midget. fighting their <laughs> their wives' lovers. And <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy that we both thought of midgets. I'm sorry, yes. <laughs> but they exploited the hell out of that. Yeah. yeah, I mean it was a thing. Yeah, that's why you watched. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so to uh, kind of change course just a smidge. Yeah, Jonathan Schmitz. Oh, what a name! Twenty four <laughs> lived an ordinary life. He was, by all definitions, an average Joe who lived in Michigan. But on March 6th, 1995, he was invited to appear on The Jenny Jones Show, where he was told that a person who had a secret crush on him would be revealed. Mm. Expecting a beautiful woman to reveal herself, Jonathan was shocked when the secret crush was revealed to be a gay acquaintance named Scott Amador. Amador. 32. Yeah. Have a picture of Scott. Okay. And he's all nice and tan with his little mustache, his 90s mustache he's got going on. Hey, his friend. little gold chain. I know. Don't do the gold chain, though. Got some little chest hairs poking out. Is he trying? Is he, he trying. Yeah. That's his thirst trap pick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he's got a beautiful smile. He does. He looks happy. Mm-hmm. Little cutie. The Jenny Jones Show shot the episode, but never aired it because of the devastating aftermath. Mm-hmm. The episode begins with Jenny asking Scott to tell the audience about his fantasies involving Jonathan, who was backstage at the time, unable to hear and clueless as to who might be waiting to reveal themselves to him. This is so fucked up. Yeah. So he couldn't see who was out there. They had headphones on him, so he couldn't hear anything that was going mm-hmm. on. After Scott is pressured to reveal a fantasy that involves him, Jonathan, a hammock, strawberries, and whipped cream, Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Jenny brings out Jonathan, who awkwardly embraces Scott before he sits down. I have a picture of the awkward hug. Yeah. He's like, what the fuck? Yeah, like you can see Scott's got his arm all the way around him. Oh, yeah. And Jonathan is just kind of leaning into him with this very uncomfortable smile. And that is their friend Donna, their mutual friend Donna, looking on. We'll talk a little bit more about Donna in a sec. Okay. When he arrived at the studio, Jonathan saw a woman that he knew in the audience. Like, what a quinky nick, right? Oh, my God. Yeah. And thought she might be his secret admirer. He figured she was his secret admirer and walked up and kissed her, said Lieutenant Bruce Nail. Nolly? Nail. Nail. Um, Nailed it. (laughs) Nailed it. Of the sheriff's department to the New York Times. But then they told him, oh, no, she's not your secret admirer. This is. What a twist. Oh. So we all know that this was Scott. On screen, Jonathan appeared amused and even flattered at Scott's reveal. They were introduced by a mutual friend named Donna Riley, who was also at the taping. 
He was stunned, said the lieutenant. He had agreed to do the show, so he didn't know what to do or what his rights were, so he sat there and went along with it. Footage of the segment made public in recent years shows a laughing, embarrassed-looking Jonathan turn to Scott and Donna and say, you lied to me. But when the camera stopped rolling, Jonathan began seething with rage. Yeah. Have you seen the footage? No. Oh, my God. You have to. I've heard like a hundred podcasts about this. I've never watched the footage. You know how bad I am at like looking I at I know, stuff. but this is worth it. He is super uncomfortable. After Jenny revealed it to be Scott, who was the secret crush, and plays back the audio of Scott's fantasies. Oh, God. Yeah. <gasps> it's awkward. Jonathan it's so professes his complete heterosexuality, smiling forcibly and laughing uncomfortably. Jonathan is polite to Scott, but appears embarrassed again when Jenny has her staff roll back the footage of Scott talking about his sexual fantasies. Jonathan covers his face with his hands. Why? Why? If you see he's that uncomfortable and he's just hearing that it happened to play it back. Oh, no. Thank you, please. And he adamantly proclaimed that he is heterosexual. Yeah. Just stop it right there. Just yeah. just just say, OK, plan B. Mm-hmm. Don't roll that footage. Yeah. No. Jenny asks Jonathan about his relationship status, and he says he's available, but straight. He says Scott's crush is flattering, but reiterates that he is not interested. Jonathan, Scott, and Donna all returned home to Michigan, where Jonathan later told police that his experience at the television taping had eaten away at him. Obviously. Three days after Jonathan returned from his appearance on the show, he returned home from an evening out with friends to find an anonymous note on his door. Though the contents of the note were never revealed, it was enough to enrage him. Jonathan showed up at Scott's home to ask about the note left on his driveway. When Scott admitted it was from him, Jonathan went to his car and returned to the door with a newly purchased 12-gauge shotgun. Jonathan shot Scott twice in the chest and killed him. He immediately called 911 to turn himself in. Family, just uh, has a good shot of him. Okay, calm down, okay? Okay, why did you do that? During the call, Jonathan is asked why he shot Scott, and he replies, because he played a very fucking bad thing on me. He took me on Jenny Jones. Yep, so there's that. (sighs) There's that. The trial was nothing short of a media circus. Prosecutors claim that Jonathan killed Scott in cold blood in an attempt to hide the fact that the pair were having an affair. Oh, yeah. A claim backed by the testimony of Scott's friend who testified on the stand. So I don't know how true all that is. Yeah. There's, who knows? As far as I know, there was no like proof of that other than his friend testifying. What you are seeing on the tape is a 24 year old man facing the studio audience and the camera. With what I consider to be an ambush, Richard Thompson, the prosecutor in the case, told the Washington Post in 1995. Yes. So I have a another picture. It's like a screen grab from the show. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you can see how uncomfortable he looks in that picture. Very much so. He just looks like a statue. He's sitting there staring blankly. He, he looks very uncomfortable. The socks, though. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to peep the collar on his shirt. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's one of those, like, little... Yeah. I don't even know what to why. call it. I don't know what it's called. I don't know, but it, that it's fine. <laughs> what are the 90s? Yeah. Richard Thompson goes on to say, um, he is visibly upset. People are laughing. It's like a Roman circus where the audience gives a thumbs up or thumbs down to everything that is going on. Yeah. 
Jonathan's lawyers argued that the show and its producers were to blame for the tragedy. They claimed that because of their failure to disclose Scott's intentions, he would still be alive. The Jenny Jones Show producers, however, had a different story. They claimed that they told Jonathan that his crush could be a man or a woman, leaving it open to interpretation. In the actual episode, Jonathan told Scott that he was definitely heterosexual and didn't seem enraged or otherwise disturbed by the revelation. Yeah, he's on national TV! Yeah. And at worst, everyone thought it would be something that would be laughed off in the future, maybe as a tall tale to tell over a night of drinking with friends. The defense also revealed that Jonathan's father frequently made homophobic comments to his son, and Jonathan killed Scott out of a gay panic. I find that to be pretty true, though. I I have feelings about the whole gay panic thing. No, but he was embarrassed. And yeah, but I don't think that's a gay panic situation. I think that's a male ego situation. Absolutely, yeah. You can say it's gay panic, but yes, there you yeah. go. I yeah. don't necessarily buy into the whole gay panic thing. I think it's a male ego thing. Somebody out there may possibly think that he's gay because he was on this episode. And I don't know if he's technically homophobic because oh, he that. has to know that Scott was gay, right? But he, I mean, they were still friends. They were acquaintances. Okay. They weren't friends. So Donna lived in the same apartment building as Jonathan. Okay. And Scott was friends with Donna. Right. So that's how, like, he was just an acquaintance. Okay. I don't know. For some reason, I was thinking that they, like, actually used to hang out. Mm-mm. Okay. Jonathan Schmitz was convicted of second-degree murder and sentenced to 25 to 50 years in prison in 1996. Yeah. That verdict was overturned due to jury selection errors, but Jonathan was retried in 1999 and his second trial resulted in the same sentence. After the Jenny Jones killer, which <laughs> is what they began calling him, was convicted of second degree murder, the Amador family sued the Jenny Jones show for the wrongful death of Scott Amador. Amador. I don't know. The trial. <laughs> I think, well, <laughs> I keep saying Amador, but I think it's Amador. I think it's, I think you're right. I think it's Amador. I think it's Amador, so I apologize. The trial aired on Court TV at the time and created a national media frenzy. At trial, Jenny got on the stand and testified that she didn't get permission from Jonathan to humiliate him on national television. Who's going to give permission to humiliate them on television? Hey, can I embarrass the fuck out of you? (laughs) Sure! No problem! But you kind of got to know what you're getting into when you go on one of those shows. Uh, Yeah. I would... Always say You know no. there's going to be some type of outrageousness, okay? Yeah, just don't do it. Don't do that. I don't know. I still probably would. Yeah, I wouldn't. <laughs> I would not. She also confirmed that her show didn't do a background check on Jonathan or any of her guests before bringing them on the air, which I think is important. That is stupid. Amateur's attorney pointed out that had Jenny and her staff conducted a background check on Jonathan, his past mental health and addiction issues would have been revealed. So maybe they wouldn't have chosen him. Yeah, like maybe he wouldn't be okay with being ambushed with this. It ultimately found the producers of the Jenny Jones show negligent and awarded $25 million to the Amateur family. But this ruling was reversed on appeal as the court found that Scott's murder was completely unpredictable. Despite the show's cruel sensationalism and surprise tactics, it had no duty to anticipate and prevent the act of murder. 
the Amadeur family never received any compensation for Scott's death. Okay, but if it wasn't for the show... He would still be alive. Yeah. So how can you not say that you don't have any responsibility I think they that? made mistakes, but don't you have to sign waivers and shit to go yeah, on shows Yeah, no, like I don't that? think that they were legally responsible, honestly. I mean, I'm... But morally... But morally, can, I mean... Give them something out of the kindness See, of your heart. just don't go on the show. Just don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't do it. Jonathan Schmitz got out of jail in 2017 at the age of 47 after serving 22 years. I've got a picture, the most recent picture I can find. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Well, he's still got the jawline. Well, yeah, he was born with that jawline. I know, but I mean, like... <laughs> You know, sometimes as people get older, they start to lose a yeah. little bit of facial well, structure. because he was only in there for 22 years, so... Yeah. He didn't change much. Oh, my God. Y'all have to go watch the video. It's cuckoo bananas. It's sad at the same time. Yeah. Because you know what happens. Yeah. At the time, Scott Amater's older brother, Frank Amater Jr., Good Lord. told the Detroit Free Press that he was troubled by the parole decision. I wanted assurance that the decision was not based on just good behavior in prison, he said. Okay. I'd like to know that he learned something, that he's a changed man, is no longer homophobic, and has gotten psychological care. It might be easier if he was old, an old gray-haired man, but he's still pretty young at 47. He's still got a lot to go, and my brother doesn't. Agreed. Yeah. It's so sad. I'm so sorry, I'm a dear family. Sincerely sorry. But yeah, that... um. That's my secret admirer case. Well, shit. And what we've, learned, what we've learned from this. Don't go on the Jenny Jones show. Is don't go on any talk show. Any talk show. And secret admirers. Well, no, he wasn't scary. The admiree was scary. Yeah. So it was kind of Watch like. Watch who you have a crush on. Your, yeah. <laughs> That's the other lesson. Don't have a crush on Peter. <laughs> No Peters or Jonathans. <laughs> He's going to laugh in your face. <sighs> Look what Peter missed out on. I know. He really did. Look at me now. All of this. Look, I didn't look like this then. <laughs> I had frizzy hair. It was before I got braces. So I had some little buck teeth. I wore like these old lady walking shorts to school because of the fucking dress code. So that's what my mom put me in. Oh, wow. yeah. That's unfortunate. Oh, yeah. It was it was pretty bad. I, wow. I grew out of that. Thank God. <laughs> I learned what to do with my hair and I got braces. So... <laughs> Good for you. I'm happy for you. And I didn't have to wear the old lady walking shorts. But then he moved. So Good riddance, Peter. Bye. Yeah, bitch. Okay. My case is on Gary Scara. Scara? Like the mascara? Like the mascara. So we're traveling all the way to Agawam, Massachusetts. Nice. Near the western Connecticut border. It's a small town, and the people who live there like it that way. In 1989, Agawam voted overwhelmingly not to be known as a city, but to simply remain a town, a place where neighbors are friends and friends are family. Shit don't stay that way. (laughs) At the Agawam (laughs) Middle School, under a dogwood tree in the courtyard, 
There is a memorial to one of the town's most beloved residents, 24-year-old Lisa Zeigert, whose untimely death changed Agawam forever. Why at the middle school? Because that's where she was a teacher. Oh, okay. So just be quiet? Yeah. Okay. Her mother, Dee, described her as a special person who was bubbly, outgoing, and full of fun. Did she light up a room? <laughs> That's why I paused. <laughs> she always had a special rapport with the children and treated them like people. They knew that she really liked them. Aww. I have a photo of Lisa. Oh, my 80s. I know. <laughs> that is some kinky curly hair. And it's frizzy and wild and I love it. It's beautiful. I love her. She has the longest, slimmest fingers of any human. Oh, I didn't even look at that. Oh, she does. She's adorbs. She looks very pensive. Right yeah. Now. I probably would have liked her as a teacher, too, though. Mm -hmm. She grew up in Agawam. After college, she returned home to teach special needs students at the middle school. Aww. School district, <laughs> school counselor, Dick Coles. <laughs> <laughs> Dick. <laughs> We're adults, we swear. <laughs> Felt that she was a very gifted teacher who made sure that her students felt valued. Her students recalled that she always helped them with their problems and answered their questions and that she was always nice to them. Aww. On Wednesday, April 15th, 1992, Lisa left school around 4.30 p.m. She drove directly to Brittany's card and gift shop. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> where she worked weekdays from 5 to 9. Pay your teachers more, okay? I'm just going to mm -hmm. say. So they don't have to do that shit. Yeah. At 5.30 p.m., her sister Lynn stopped by. Lisa was working on a sketch for her friend. Lynn recalled that their conversation was normal and that nothing seemed out of the ordinary, and she left around 6. The next morning at 8.45, Sophia Maynard arrived as usual to open up the store. She was surprised to find Lisa's car in the parking lot. Like, it was a school day. What the fuck are you doing here? Mm-hmm. The lights were on in the store, and the open flag was out. Oh, no. Sophia thought it was strange, and she could not understand why Lisa was there. Then she remembered that Easter weekend was coming up and that they had planned to blow up some balloons. She figured that that's why Lisa was there. She didn't think much of anything until she walked inside the store. She called Lisa's name several times, but no reply. She went behind the counter and... Found all of Lisa's belongings, including her drawings, her pocketbook, and car keys. They were all still there. She knew something was wrong, though, so she went to a restaurant across the street and had them call the police. Why didn't she call the police from there? Getting the fuck out. Oh, yeah, I guess if there was still a bad guy there. Mm -hmm. Police found signs of a struggle in the back storeroom. Several boxes had been smashed. A few traces of blood were found on those boxes and on some greeting cards outside of the room. Otherwise, there was no physical evidence at the store. That day, the Agawam Police Department, aided by the FBI and the Massachusetts State Police, launched a massive search. Lisa's family hoped for the best and feared for the worst. Man, they went all out, huh? Oh, yeah. They, Good job, Massachusetts. They was on top of it, okay? But, sadly, on the afternoon of Easter Sunday... Oh, gosh. April 19th, four days after Lisa disappeared, her partially clothed body was found in a wooded area off Route 75 on the edge of town. The location was about three miles from the store. She had multiple knife wounds around her shoulders and throat. Although several pieces of evidence were found at the scene, the murder weapon was not located. 
An examination by the county medical examiner later indicated that she had been sexually assaulted. Oh, no. As Agawam mourned the authorities pressed their investigation, three critical phone tips came in which helped establish a time frame. The first call was from a person who had been at the store at 8.20 p.m. Um, they made a purchase and actually had a time-stamped receipt. They didn't notice anything unusual. The second person was a customer of the store who had gone in around 9 p.m. She Why found, are they open so late? I don't know. It's well, I mean, they, store. Well, they were supposed to close at 9. Like, hello, rude. Yeah. We're closing. Mm-hmm. But anyway, she found it open with the lights on, but nobody was around. She did hear some noise in the back room. She described it as a banging noise. She waited for a minute, and when nobody came out, she left. Can you imagine? Yeah, she could have been murdered, too. She was there. This suggested to police that Lisa was in the store around 9 and in the back room. Further investigation revealed that she had been laying horizontal on the floor. There were two kick marks from her shoes at the bottom of the door. Oh, no. The third tip came from a woman who worked near the store. At 9.15 that night, the woman was on her way home. She stopped at the stop sign at the intersection of Route 75 and Adams Street. While stopped there, she observed a full-size Bronco or Blazer-type vehicle pull off the road into a piece of property that led into the area where her body was later found. Oh, my. She said there was an operator in the front, and in the back seat, she believed there was two people, one male and one female. Oh. She saw the female's head go up and then down a couple of times as the vehicle drove off into the woods. Get your minds out of the gutter, people. You nasty. Mm-hmm. At that time, the woman thought that it was just a carload of teenagers, and she drove on, and there were no further clues. Police took plaster molds of tire tracks left at the murder scene. They were identified as Cooper tires. The combination of tires on their vehicle were so distinctive, detectives were able to comb through the sales records of local dealerships nice. and track down the driver of the vehicle. Nice. However, it turned out that he was at the scene with friends several days before the murder. He was ruled out, though. Okay. <sighs> An unidentified man reportedly watched Lisa and other members of the Healthy Habits Fitness Center <laughs> while they worked out. <laughs> okay, my bad. <laughs> it's fine. I'm not going to a gym called Healthy Habits. No, no, no. This happened shortly before her murder. Maybe don't go work out. <laughs> See, another reason. Witnesses noted that he watched her closely in a perverted fashion. The man was described as Caucasian in his 30s and around 5'10 with a beer belly and wavy light brown hair. So he had no business in healthy habits. Absolutely not. Hey, chunky people need to get healthy too. I mean, who are you telling? But, <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Maybe it was... Yeah, no. If he's watching women in a perverted fashion with his beer belly hanging over his britches, he don't need to be in healthy habits. Well, he was definitely not there for working out because he was in his work clothes. Okay. And he drove a red sports car. Oh, so he has a tiny penis too. Yeah. Okay. But it's not known if he had any connection to the case. Hmm. In the weeks prior to Lisa's abduction, she told people she believed that she was being watched. She also asked several friends and relatives to visit her frequently at the store as she did not like being there alone. This led investigators to believe that her killer had been stalking her within the weeks up to her murder. Probably. He was. 
You want to know about her murderer? Uh, Yeah. Okay, let's get into this stuff. Even as a child, Lisa's killer was mesmerized by violent sexual themes. He wrote in a confession letter later obtained by the Republican. Okay, this is interesting. I've never really been or even felt normal. From a very young age, I was fascinated by abduction and bondage. I could never keep it too far from my mind for long. On that fateful day, I let myself do something terrible. Gary wrote this in neat, unfaltering penmanship to his, I know, (laughs) to his girlfriend on September 14th, 2017. He confessed to his girlfriend. He confessed to his girlfriend. Uh, Well, the heat was starting to turn up on him. Okay. We'll get into that in a little bit. But I have a picture of Gary. 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 <laughs> Damn it, Gary. <laughs> wow, he has dead eyes. I'm scared. Orange is not his color. He's a big boy. If you can't tell, he's like over six feet tall. So he's the beer belly over the pants, red sports car, tiny penis guy? I don't know. I really don't know which one of those descriptions he could be because there was another one. The Bronco or Blazer, uh-huh. and they said that guy was, you know, 5'10 or whatever. So, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, he could have been wearing a disguise. You don't know. But I have a picture of the letter also, which is the handwriting I tried to copy <laughs> on oh my, my secret admirer note. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> but yeah, there's there's pieces of it. It's actually super long in its entirety. That's what she said. Yeah. He wrote the letter as state and local police were closing in 25 years after the savage kidnapping, rape, and murder of Lisa. Gary pleaded guilty to first-degree murder in Hampton Superior Court on September 25th, 2017. He was sentenced to life in prison. Good. D, Lisa's mother, said prosecutors read his confession to her directly before his plea hearing that morning. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) She says, my first reaction to the letter, that is absolutely frightening, just frightening. And it's amazing it didn't happen again. Right. But I'm glad he wrote it because it's him saying I did it and him writing it and he signed it. There you go. He can't. No, no take backs. Yep. No take backs. Multiple law enforcement agencies pursued Lisa's killer for more than two decades. So when he was arrested and charged in September of 2017, they ran like a list of 11 suspects that had refused to volunteer DNA samples over the years. Okay. I was wondering how. They so that's how they kind of narrowed it down. His apartment in West Springfield was the second on a list of prospective door knocks for state troopers working the case. They didn't have to knock on anymore. State trooper Noah Pack left. That is a fabulous name. I know. (laughs) Left his card with Gary's roommate at a multifamily home on Lathrop Street on September 13th. Gary was at his longtime girlfriend's in Granville. After he learned of the visit from Pack, he dafted three handwritten documents, okay? A confession, a last will and testament, and a brief letter of apology to the Zagert family. That's interesting. His girlfriend discovered the letters at her home on September 14th and immediately turned them over to the state police. Good job, boo-boo. Here's a little bit more from how he <laughs> started it off, okay? 
I've been reading. Uh, nope. I've been dreading the day I'd need to write this letter for almost as long as I can remember. First off, I love you. Blech. I hope you never doubt that. Now the hard part. You are going to find out some awful things about me today. They will tell you I abducted. This is redacted, but I'm pretty sure it said raped. And murdered a young woman approximately 25 years ago. It is true. All of it. I had no intention of killing her when I grabbed her. But events spun out of my control. And in the eyes of the law, it is all the same. I have never regretted anything so much. It's a two-page letter. It continues, I was young and headstrong and foolish. Emphasis on the last part. No shit. <sighs> yeah. A little, a little bit of background into him because I don't want to spend too much time. I don't like him at all. He spent the subsequent two decades sliding back in between the murder and when he got, when he turned himself in pretty mm-hmm. much, sliding back into wholly unremarkable life. <laughs> By all accounts, I had to keep that. Yeah, that was great. That's sad. <laughs> he worked several jobs in the restaurant business and later in customer service at a rental car agency at Bradley International Airport. His friends have described him as docile and the nicest guy in the world. Yikes. A 1987 graduate of Longmeadow High School. He married young. He and his wife, Joyce, had a son, but the partnership didn't last. His wife moved to the West Coast not long after they were married and took their son, according to police records. In 1993, she told an attorney in 1993, okay, Mm -hmm. told an attorney in Seattle that she believed her estranged husband had something to do with Lisa's murder. They questioned him in 1993, in 2002, and in 2008. Why would she, after all that time, think that he had something to do with it? I don't know. I'm sure Hmm. it's revealed elsewhere, but I don't know. Okay, that's interesting. He says, I always knew it would one day catch up with me, and now it has. I received a text from my roommate last night that the state police were at the house with some important papers for me. That will be a warrant to take DNA, and that will send me away for life. I am still trying to decide, even as I write this note, if I have the courage for that or if I will take the coward's way out. Either way, I apologize again so much. He tried to take the coward's way out. He ended up in the emergency room at a hospital in Connecticut. On the dashboard of the black Honda Civic, he would drove to the medical center. Investigators found yet another handwritten letter. Sir. To whomever finds my body, I apologize for any psychological trauma incurred. Call Mass State Police. Thank you. GES read the note with flourishing initials. <laughs> He was charged with her murder in the following days. In his confession, he said his attack on Zygert was an anomaly. I also never did anything of the like again. I hate what happened. I despise myself. I thought of turning myself in hundreds of times over the years, but I truly am a coward. Today it will end. I will take my own life or face the music as it were. Shut up. Good riddance. He wrote like a two page letter of that. He, in his will and testament, he like left all of his belongings to his family and stuff. All of what belongings? I don't know. Your Honda? He went through all that trouble and then the apology letter to the Zagert family was like four sentences. I'm sorry for what I did. You know, blah, blah, blah. I hope it helps that you know who did it and you can find closure. Something like that. Man, fuck you, bro. Yeah. 
That's pretty much what Dee said. <laughs> Her mom, she was like, yeah, no. Bye. Bye, Gary. Fucking Gary. Yeah. Well, he sucks. Yeah. So Big no, time. No Peters, Jonathans, or Garys. Nope. Sorry if you're a Peter, Jonathan, or Gary. Yeah, it's not personal. Oh, I do love some Jonathans. Though. Yeah, we do. We do have a good Jonathan. <sighs> I, right. I yeah. I'll come back to that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, moving on. What else? Well, we do have like this one thing. Oh my god! <laughs> you know what? Could it be? It could be. It's time for Guess That Cryptid! In the past episode, I tried to like really listen to it and let it sink in. It obviously did not. Like, I can't. <laughs> it's not like the hump day. Like, I don't know. It's just as cute. Yeah, it but it's just not sticking. Start. It's not sticking. I don't know. But I'm here for it. I still love it. I don't want to change it at all. Yeah, I just can't remember it. No. Well, we're gonna have to move on to another cryptid this time. Yeah, because we have our second winner. We have a winner. Woo! <laughs> <sighs> Miss Bambi D. Irwin. Good job. You she- win. Oh, that was like third clue. Third clue. Yeah, that's how many it took us on the first cryptid, too. Yeah. Well, let's see if um, y'all can guess. Do we want to say what the cryptid was? Oh. Yeah, we should probably do that. It was a Rougarou. (laughs) (laughs) A Rougarou. That's a Louisiana thing. We tried to trick you. We couldn't do it. Yep. Nope. We didn't even get to have have to get to the Louisiana um, clue because, damn. She ain't even from these parts. I know. She she just moved here. I know. She's a transplant. (laughs) (laughs) Good job, Bambi. Congratulations. You're one of us now. (laughs) Welcome to the dark side. It's way more funner over here. It's way more funner. (laughs) All right. so. So we just, like... Right before we got started, picked a new one. Kind of. You want to read this one? Oh, I will if you want me to. Taking turns? Okay. I couldn't remember what we were doing. Taking turns. All right. That's fine. So, cryptid number three. Clue number one. This is, this is short and sweet. It can shape shift. Yeah, it can. Do I need to repeat it? <laughs> Might as well. Just in case. It can shape shift. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. Guess wisely. Very wisely. You only get one per cryptid. Yep. One. And you can only win one time as well. Yeah. Because then you'd just be winning the same prize multiple times. Yeah. And that's just silly. I mean, you could be a collector. But no, because you want to variety. But we're going to give everybody a chance. Yeah. All the peoples. All, all the, the people. oddballs. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. I'm done. Okay. <laughs> Happy humping and go guess that cryptid. Yeah. What she said. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Thanks for hanging out with us. Don't forget to visit us on Facebook and Instagram for episode picks and announcements. 
please rate and review on Apple, Spotify, and Facebook. We want to give a huge shout out to Stephen Goetzky for editing, Craig Weaver for music, and our very own Amanda Hagens for art. We'll talk at you next week.